welcome. Welcome to Church Project. Um, if you have not visited with us before, or if you visit a couple of times and you've decided to come back, you're in a special place. Um, you're in a place that loves God's people, loves God's image bearers, loves sinners, um, and desires to be the hands and feet and voice of God in this community. And we, we say we're three things. We're biblical, we're simple, and we're relevant. And, um, and one of the things with being biblical is we believe in looking closely at the Word of God and learning what it says, helping it grow us, helping it mature us, helping it change us and make us more like Him. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I, I'm going to ask uh, Danny, could you turn the lights on? I'm really going to ask if everybody would look at your Bible today um, because uh, we have a problem. And uh, we're going to look at this problem and see what God says. It's not really a problem, but it's a perceived problem. It's a problem that looks like a problem. Um, and we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Um, anyone have uh, a version other than King James, English Standard Version, or NIV? What do you have? NLT. NLT. You may have a good one. What do you have? The message, you've got a real good one. Um, all right, because I think both of y'all's versions actually get this verse right. The NIV, English Standard, and King James actually get it wrong, which creates this impression that we have a problem. So, um, so it's good that you guys have, have those two. Um, we're going to start reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you take these words and that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Illuminate them to give us understanding. Not an understanding simply of the mind, but an understanding that transcends the very being of who we are and supernaturally intercedes and does its living work. For your word is indeed living. It's unlike any other. It is eternal, it is unchanging, and it is true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going through the Lord's Prayer. I haven't preached in months, and I get sin. I get evil. Um, nobody really likes to preach on sin or evil, but we have to. It's necessary. It's the truth of God. And one of the questions I want to ask you up front is, our verse today is deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So we have the question immediately. What's the first question we think of when we say, um, lead us not into evil, deliver us from temptation? What's the first thing we think of when we read those words? Who are we saying it to? Who are we praying to in these verses? God. And we're asking God to do what? Lead us not into 
Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. What question comes from, from that right there? What question is the first to pop into your mind? Does God... Does God lead us into temptation? Does, does God allow us to pursue evil? Um, that's the question. Now, before we start, I want, uh, we need to understand what is sin. And in the modern church today, we have a very misunderstanding of sin. And it comes from our works mentality, our thinking that, you know, work to earn God's favor, and you do bad things, and He's mad at you. And we, it's, a, it's a do sort of thing. But that is not a biblical understanding of sin. Before the fall, we had a propensity, our nature, who we were, had a propensity, had a bent towards God, had a bent towards good, had a bent towards righteousness. We could choose sin as Eve and Adam did, right? But our nature was bent towards God. So we had to make a conscious decision to turn away from that and choose sin. What happened after the fall is that our nature, instead of being bent towards God, our nature today is bent towards sin. And we have to make a conscious decision to bend towards God and to turn towards God. So sin, number one, if you're writing down, taking notes or anything, what I want you to get is sin is not something we do. Sin is actually, in the biblical sense, something that we are. It is part of our nature. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the reason Jesus had to come. Was to change that. To intercede in that. To clean that out. And instead of being filled with sin, to be filled with Him. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask you, do you believe this about God, what we just read? Do you really believe that God intentionally puts temptations in front of us to entice us to do wrong, even to sin? We've got a problem. Because Scripture does not contradict itself. But if you'll turn with me to James chapter 1, the book of James, it's toward the back of your Bible. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts... Anybody want to close it for me? No one. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. <clears throat> so what we have is we have in the Lord's Prayer, we have in Matthew 6, what appears to be Jesus, the Son of God, telling us to pray to God and ask Him not to tempt us, not to lead us to temptation. But then we have James, the brother of Jesus, a half-brother of Jesus, the bishop, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, writing to us and saying, God can tempt no one. Temptation comes when we give in to our own desires. But God never changes, and His Word is truth. So how do we handle this? Well, we're going to look at that. And that's one reason I wanted the lights on different translations. 
because translations is very um, interesting. And one of the things that you need to do whenever you come across a passage like this is get other translations. Because, um, because what has happened with this passage is this passage has become so ingrained. It's one of the things we, we memorize. It's one of the things that's on our walls as, as children. It's one of the things that's very ingrained. And it, and it comes from the King James translation. We've all memorized it as that. And it's actually a mistranslation. And what actually happens when new translations are translated... Passages like this and, and, and Psalms 23, passages that are very well known, normally they, don't, they, they leave them alone because everybody already knows them, so they don't want to mess people up. So even in a lot of newer translations, they follow this, this pattern. But it actually does not say that. Um, it actually, if you're reading the New Revised Standard Version, um, it says, lead us not, in, 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 instead of saying lead us not in temptation, it says, do not bring us to the time of trial. And um, the New Living Version says, do not let us yield to temptation. Well, that's completely different, isn't it? Don't let me give in to temptation. Keep me from uh, giving in to my sinful earthly desires. Um, and the message says, keep us safe from ourselves. Keep us safe from ourselves. So, what this passage is actually saying in the first part is, let us, do not let us yield to temptation. Lord, keep me safe from myself. Lord, keep me safe from giving in to my bent towards sin. That's what it's saying in the first part. Then, in the second part, second half, we read, deliver us from evil. The NRSV um, translates the Greek as rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us, which is actually a more precise translation. Rescue us from the evil one. So when we pray this prayer, we're not praying God don't tempt me beyond my ability to not sin. God, don't deliver me from the evil that, that I'm in. Don't, don't tempt me, God. We're not praying that. We're praying, God, don't allow me to give in to the sin that's part of who I am. We're praying, rescue me from the evil one. Don't allow me to give in to the temptations and the snares of the evil one. So we've been looking, and if you want to, you can turn the lights off. You don't have to. Um, but um, we've been looking at that, uh, this prayer, for a few weeks. And it builds. One of the things we always learn about Scripture is we keep it in context if we want to understand it. And we see a building here. The first thing we have in this prayer is we have three petitions. And Aaron's gone over those um, the last few weeks. The first petition is God's name. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. The second is God's kingdom. Your kingdom come. And the third is God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first three things is that we are asking God for His name to be hallowed, His kingdom to come, and His will to be done. And then we have three for mankind. The first three are for God, for God's kingdom. The following 
At the end of the um, prayer are three things for us. And the first thing for us is give us this day our daily bread. And then the second thing for us is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And the third thing is for deliverance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. God is so cool. God is so amazing. Because what He does in this prayer is Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, but He builds within the very formula of the prayer, within the very writing of the prayer, how we can achieve the last one. Look, keep us from giving in to ourselves. Keep us from submitting to the evil one. Well, how do we do that? Alright, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Let's go back to our understanding of sin. And why did I, why did I start with that? That sin is not something we do. Sin is something that we are. Well, the reason I start with that is because in the beginning, we were bent towards God. We were at peace. We were fulfilled. We were, our relationships were good with each other and with our Creator. But then when we fell to sin, sin entered into human nature and we became built, bent towards sin. And all creation fell. But then Jesus came. And the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of His death was to pay a penalty, to pay our penalty for that sin. And His resurrection was to raise victorious over the power of that sin and to enable us to enter into a relationship with God that turns the mistake. Paul says the, first, the second Adam came. He calls Jesus the second Adam to undo what the first Adam did. So He turned to, to turn us. So our salvation is not just for fire insurance, although I like that. That's good, <laughs> right? Fire insurance is good. But it's not just for fire insurance. It's to undo what was done so that I, we can turn back towards God. Now, that doesn't happen instantaneously. It's not like some magic wand is waved. You come up, you shake the preacher's hand, he dunks you in some water, and all of a sudden you're like Jesus and you don't deal with sin anymore. But it does mean that the power that overcame sin on the cross is available to you. Is available within you when you're tempted. When your nature wants to be bent towards sin. So, what you do, if you want, if you want to overcome temptation, Jesus lays out here. And basically, I want you to think of if I had a board, I would have an illustration for you. But just think of a big um, triangle or, you know, those plus signs, greater than signs. You know, big triangle like this. Like this. And down here, there's a little cross. And then there's a little bit bigger cross. There's a little bit bigger cross. A little bit bigger cross. Big old cross. All right? That's sort of 
An illustration of God's desire for us once we become a believer. This is us. And it's filled with uh, me. Me, me, me. Before the cross comes in. When you get saved, you have that little cross there. Taking up a little space. As we become more intimate with God, as we become more in tune with God, that cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and pushes me out. So, the way to become victorious over sin, the way to become victorious over temptation, the way to become victorious over evil is not to come up with a formula, a checklist, a things of do and don'ts. Okay, if I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then I won't sin and I'll be victorious over it. No, the way to become victorious over evil and sin is become more filled with Jesus. It really is that simple. To become more intimate with God. To become more in love with God. To become more surrendered to God. To want to know Him better. Commune with Him more. Pursue Him. And I know in our minds, because we've been trained this way, in our Western way of thinking, we automatically think of a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a bunch of things you have to do. I'm talking about being. Being with Christ. Sometimes that can be as simple as not doing. Just resting. Sometimes it can be as simple as just speaking with Him. And we're all created different and we're all made different. We're, we have a very creative God. So it can look very different in each of us. The truth of the matter is only you know where your relationship is with God. Only you know how much time you just be in His presence. But if you want to defeat sin, the focus shouldn't be your sin. If you want to defeat sin, the focus shouldn't be your works. Because who's the focus on in both of those things? Who? Me. The focus should be on Jesus. Alright, 47 years old. I've been a Christian since 1975. I stand here and I say this. But guess what? When I'm dealing with sin, I still want to do. What I want to do when I start when I'm tempted? Well, I need to read my Bible more. Well, I need to go to church more. Well, I need to go witnessing more. Well, I need to listen to Christian radio more. Well, I need to do, do, do. Well, I need to find you know twelve steps for overcoming this temptation and go through those twelve steps. And I'm not, I'm not getting down on 12 steps. I, I, I just, 12 steps popped in my mind. I'm not saying anything about hey, hey, or anything like that because it's a wonderful, done wonderful work. But, but the focus isn't on the sin. The focus is on my relationship with Jesus. So the more I'm focused on Jesus, the less temptation I have. How do I know this? Well, look at the verses. What's the first thing? Hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Not my will, but your kingdom come. You are a holy God. You are greater than me. You are majestic. You are completely good, completely gracious, completely merciful, completely holy, completely just. You are holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Not my will. Not me being some great preacher of a, of a megachurch somewhere. Not me being a best-selling author. Not me being... Not, not any of that. Maybe it's just me being a dad. Maybe that's His will. Not my will. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom, Lord. Your will. And then, when we go to the other three, what's going on here? What we need to survive. Give us this day our daily bread. I had a conversation with a friend this week. And, um, and he said something that was true. Very true. But it's a good point about why this is in here on how to overcome temptation. This is what he said. He said, men, it's, it's amazing what men will do when it gets down to feeding their families. What he was saying is it's amazing what sins men will give in to and temptations men will give in to if it comes down to providing for their family. If we don't have our focus on Christ, our focus is going to be on our needs. Our first need is the most primary need we have. Food. So what's the first thing that happens if we're not used to being in Jesus' presence, if we're not filled with Jesus, if that cross isn't big, what's the first thing that happens when my family doesn't have food to eat? I'm tempted. And if I'm not filled with Jesus, what am I going to do? I'm going to give in to that temptation. Right? Secondly, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. You know what you know what unforgiveness at its base level is? Unforgiveness is me saying I'm God of my life. What do I mean by that? Unforgiveness is me saying I deserve better. I shouldn't have been treated this way. I deserve Somebody needs to repent. I deserve this. I deserve that. Again, where's the focus? On me. And every time we say that, we also, in our mind, subconsciously diminish our own sinful nature. When you don't forgive, what you're saying is, they're worse than me. I may have these problems, but they're worse than me. Their sin is worse than my sin. Right? And what that does in our hearts and in our minds and our consciousness makes us less aware of our own sin. It makes us diminish it and think it's not as big of a problem. So what forgiveness does is forgiveness frees us from focusing on this person's sin and allows us to see ourselves as we truly are. Um, and then the last thing is deliver us from evil. So... Um, not unto evil. So how do we overcome temptation? First of all, God doesn't tempt us. We, we got through that textual problem at the beginning. Secondly, how do we overcome it? We focus on Jesus. We praise Him. 
we hallow his name, we spend time with him, we, um, we, we pray for his kingdom, we work for his kingdom, we long for his kingdom, we are instruments of his kingdom on this earth, instruments of grace, instruments of mercy, instruments of salvation, instruments of forgiveness, instruments of redemption. We are Jesus' hands and feet. That's it, that his kingdom come. Now one day his kingdom is going to come, right? But until that day, you know, as the old song used to say, we're the only Jesus people know. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We're the kingdom of God in this world. So the way God's kingdom is going to come is by us surrendering ourselves and filling ourselves more with Him. And then, it will be done on earth. Surrendering our will to God's will. Maybe my will is that I'm this, this, and this. But God's will is, I'm this. And He knows best. I hope this makes sense. Um, and I hope uh, now what's the first thing that we do when we run into a contradiction in the word of God or something that doesn't make sense and what appears to be a contradiction what do we do first of all we stop and we say whoa wait this can't be right because God's word's always true right so it's not that God's word is contradictory it's that my understanding of it is contradictory so I need to figure out what it really says and one of the best ways to do that is get some other translations. You can pull them up on the net and, and see what and compare them to what they say. And often you'll find that it doesn't say exactly what you thought it said. And then, if you want to overcome temptation, if you want to be delivered from evil, fill yourself with Jesus. Get into a relationship with Him. Become intimate with your Heavenly Father. Become consumed with hallowing His name of being an instrument of his kingdom for carrying out his will and surrendering daily to his will and don't allow yourself to become consumed by concerns of our needs by the sins of others that will deliver you from temptation let's pray Heavenly Father thank you so very much for your word thank you for the honor and the privilege of being able to bring it. I pray that anything that was said that was not true, was not of you, would just be wiped by the power of your Spirit from the body's mind. But Father, I pray that the eternal truths of your word that were spoken would have, were spoken with the power of your Spirit and will change us into you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.